A few months ago, I stood here and gave you a definition to try on, a definition of spirituality, a definition that I you know, thought worked for me, and I, th- I thought maybe it could work for many of you. And my, my basic definition of spirituality is seeking a connection with something greater than ourselves. I think that that definition can fit many different theologies, Whatever it is that you believe is greater than yourself, be that God or nature or the power of human community to create justice, we can all seek a connection with something greater than ourselves. And in doing so, expand our being past who we are in this finite moment. So I believe that that's my working definition definition of spirituality. And to add to that, I think that religion, which has got something of a bad rap over the years, is really about people coming together for the purpose of fostering spirituality. It's how people foster and express that spirituality in community with one another, bound to one another, committed to one another. It's how people pursue spiritual ends together. And in response to that sermon, I had a number of wonderful conversations with people in the congregation, but one of them in particular stands out because someone came to me and and we had a wonderful conversation about the temptation, the temptation that there is to think of spirituality as an inherently good thing. To think of this, this notion of spirituality, of pursuing spirituality as an inherently good thing. But as we know, religion, which I'm just defining as people coming together to pursue and foster spirituality, religion can easily be used for bad purposes. Much evil in our world has been done in the name of religion. War and oppressions of all sort have been done in the name of religion. All sorts of horrible things have been done in our world in the name of connecting with something greater than ourselves, in the name of spirituality. So we can't, we can't then think of spirituality in and of itself as an inherently good thing, and it's, it's unfortunate that we can't do that. It really is unfortunate that we can't do that. But because we can't, we then need a way to judge. We need a way to separate the good from the bad, the constructive forms of spirituality from the destructive forms of spirituality, the forms that will enhance human goodness and well-being and the forms that will add to badness and separation and evil in our world. In this community, in this Unitarian Universalist community, as in other Unitarian Universalist communities, we have no dogma. We don't have a list of things that you have to believe to be a member here. We are free to explore spiritual teachings that are meaningful to us. But we covenant to affirm and promote not only freedom, but responsibility in our spiritual journeys. And that responsibility is what what I'm going to be talking about mostly today. That responsibility asks us to pursue spiritual ends within the bounds of community within the bounds of relationship. 
And so we have a responsibility to choose our spiritual paths wisely. I believe, though it doesn't say it in our principles, that Unitarian Universalists covenant to be skeptical and questioning, even as we are open-minded and searching. It's one of the things that we do best. We ask questions about everything that we encounter. Mariah Mitchell and Sophia Foz, the women I talked with our children about, knew that they needed to ask questions about our world. And it's what drew both of those women to the Unitarian and later Unitarian Universalist faith tradition. The ability of of our religion to stand up to asking hard questions about spirituality. We do not covenant to leave our judgment and reason at the door when we search for religious teachings. In fact, here, we agree that spiritual paths and religious teachings worth following must, must, in fact, stand up to the examinations of our head and our heart. They must square with our experiences and our understandings about the world. They must align with our values and principles. And so today, I'm going to propose three criteria by which I believe spiritual paths and religious traditions can be honestly, authentically, and openly judged. I think Sophia Faz, in that reading that you did responsively with Stephanie just a little while ago, was on to something when she looked at different kinds of beliefs. But I've, I've boiled it down to three that I think work for me. Maybe you have others, and I look forward to hearing those in the conversations that will no doubt follow this worship service. The three that I propose today are these. First, does this spiritual path, does this religious teaching lead me to connection with others? Second, does this spiritual path and religious tradition treat all people equally? And third, is this spiritual path, is this religious tradition open to new truths? Those are the three criteria that I'm proposing today. Let's take them one at a time. First, does this spiritual path lead me to connection with others? This one is very firmly grounded in my own theology, a theology that you might share in part or in full, or you might differ with. But in my theology, I believe that goodness in this world, all of the goodness that can be found in this world, comes from relationship comes from really, truly sitting down and entering into relationship with other beings around us, with other human beings around us, with other non-human beings around us, really allowing the presence of those beings in our lives to affect the way we act and think. Real relationship, mutual relationship. And I believe that relationship leads to goodness in the world. And that evil Evil comes when relationships are broken, when we see other people as our enemy, as different, as opposite us, as not worthy of sitting down with. That's when evil happens in our world. That connection, the connection that's found in relationship, leads us, ideally, to compassion. And here, I refer specifically to the work of religious scholar Karen Armstrong, who we've already quoted twice in our worship service today, Karen Armstrong believes that at the core of every great religious tradition in our world, every one of them, there is compassion 
at the core. And that many spiritual pathways, many religious dogmas have strayed from that core. Some of them dangerously far from the core of compassion. But she believes that if you look truly at the teachings on which every religious tradition is founded, you will find compassion at the core. And she calls religious traditions to go back to those teachings, to abandon the the layers of dogma that, that have separated them from compassion. A number of years ago, she helped create something she calls the Charter for Compassion. I'll just read you the first paragraph of it. She writes, The principle of compassion lies at the heart of all religious, ethical, and spiritual traditions, calling us always to treat all others as we wish to be treated ourselves. Compassion impels us to work tirelessly to alleviate the suffering of our fellow creatures, to dethrone ourselves from the center of our world, and to put another there to honor the inviolable sanctity of every single human being, treating everybody without exception, with absolute justice, equity, and respect. I firmly believe that if a spiritual pathway, a religious tradition, a set of dogma or belief cannot square with that concept of compassion, with that concept of really meeting one another and engaging in relationships with whomever it is that we encounter, I truly believe it is not worth pursuing. And so I ask, does this spiritual path lead me to connect with others? There's more to connection than simply compassion as well. One concept that many of us are familiar with in religious teachings is the concept of hell and salvation. I believe that the concept of hell and salvation leads to breaks in relationships with others. It is actually a barrier to relationships, the way it is, it is practiced in many religions around the world. Because I believe that the concept of hell and salvation, as many religions around the world understand it, convinces followers that their primary goal in meeting another is not to get to know them, is not to see the humanity in them or even the divinity in them. Their primary goal in meeting, in encountering another person is to convince them to follow their religious pathway. Their primary goal is to convert them to their way of thinking. And and I believe that, that, that that concept, if I meet you, And before I get to know you, before I understand who you are, before I understand what makes you think, I think I need to save you. There is a barrier to relationship that's formed right there. And I believe that religious traditions that insist on placing that barrier there have something wrong with them. There are also religious traditions that lead to barriers of understanding and insight that lead to communities walling themselves off, literally or figuratively, from others that lead to isolation and fear. They won't understand us. The world is out to get us. Those are religious traditions that are not leading us towards greater connection. And we are right to question them. Does this spiritual path lead me to connect with others? I think we need to ask. The second criterion I'm proposing today is, does this spiritual path 
treat all people equally. I believe that we can and should reject spiritual teachings and dogmas that separate people. Separate people into categories of privileged and outcast, saved and damned, good and evil, or whatever, whatever separations that they use. All people must be treated equally in order for me to judge a spiritual path as worthy of following. Our universalist ancestors understood this. In rejecting the notion of hell, they rejected the notion that the God that they worshipped treated people differently based on what they believed or who they were or how they were born or even what they did in this world. They believed in a God who was so loving, so full of compassion and love that no matter what any human being did, God would still love them. And in believing in that God, they challenged themselves. They challenged themselves to act that way as well. They challenged themselves to reject divisions, divisions of race and creed, of color and religious background, of gender and sexual orientation. It's not an accident that the first woman who was ordained to the ministry with full recognition by her religious tradition in the United States was Olympia Brown, a universalist minister. Other women had been, had been ordained by other religious traditions, but their religious traditions didn't actually recognize the ordination. They weren't considered ministers. Olympia Brown, a universalist, was. It's not an accident that she was a universalist. I believe that we can and should reject spiritual teachings and religious paths that subjugate people according to the arbitrary categories of humanity. Religious teachings and spiritual paths that make women second-class citizens, that tell lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people that there is something inherently wrong with them, that teach that that white people are superior to people of color. And there are still religious teachings and spiritual pathways that still teach that to this day in this world. We can and should reject them. We can and should judge them as not being worth following in their entirety. It's good to do that. It's okay to do that. We don't need to condone the subjugation of any group the relegation of any group to second-class status in this world. The third criterion I have for judging spiritual pathways and religious traditions is, is this spiritual path open to new truths? Sophia Fawz, generations ago, wrote, some beliefs are rigid, like the body of death impotent in a changing world. Other beliefs are pliable, like the young sapling ever growing with the upward thrust of life. We should seek spiritual pathways and religious traditions that we want to study, ones that are pliable and not rigid. I believe that any spiritual pathway worth exploring must be open to new truths as they emerge, to new experiences that we have as individuals or as communities, to new understandings of how our world works, to new interpretations of ancient teachings, to new discoveries by science. They must remain open to discovering new ways of truth. 
any spiritual path that is locked in a single interpretation of any, any, any word of human beings, a single interpretation, be it a 3,000-year-old interpretation or a 30-year-old interpretation, any spiritual pathway that is locked into a single interpretation will soon be rigid as death, to paraphrase Sophia Foss. And I believe that we should judge those spiritual traditions harshly. One example that's recently come to my mind that might even surprise some of you is the example of a new religious tradition that is forming in in modern-day Western society that has has been labeled the spiritual tradition, though they would reject that, that label, of new atheism. And the more I read books written by people who claim that title of the new atheists, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris, among others, the more I understand that they are a group of people whose understanding of the world is so rigid. It is so rigid. It is so locked into believing that one particular way of looking at the world is right, that they have no room for anyone else's different interpretations. They have no room for anyone else's different experiences. They have no room for any new insights into how this world might work slightly differently. Sure, they embrace science. They embrace the discovery of science, which cannot be said for many of the world's major religious traditions. And I praise them for that. But they've locked themselves into a way of thinking. A way of thinking that I believe um, is attractive to many people. But when you've locked your way into a way of thinking, and you have decided that everybody else is simply wrong, no matter what they say or do, no matter what their experiences are, no matter how they see the world, everybody else who does not believe what you do is simply wrong. And something, something has died in your spiritual quest. Something has died in your religious community. And, and you need to re-examine it. So those are the three criteria that I'm going to give you today for judging religious pathways and spiritual traditions. Does this spiritual path lead me to connect with others? Does this spiritual pathway treat all people equally? And is this spiritual pathway open to new truths? Whatever those new truths might be, however hard those new truths might be to hear, is it open to hearing them? Those are the three. Perhaps you have others that you use, and I would really love if you would share them with me. Perhaps you disagree with one or more of the three that I've given to you, and I would love for you to share that with me as well. These are three that have served me well in my life, and I hope that they serve some of you well. Religion, as I said earlier, gets a bad rap in our society. That notion of religion, it gets a bad rap, I believe partially because so many religious traditions have strayed so far from those things, have strayed so far from their core of compassion and openness, equality, and justice. 
If those are the criteria we use to judge spiritual pathways and religious community for us is about fostering those things, I think that we can rehabilitate that word just a little bit. I think the world will be a better place for it. May it be so.